Hey, welcome to Prowler Presents. This is Adam Spiegelman, and today we have an interview with Andrew Smith, who wrote the movie, the main event, Barbra Streisand, and that other guy, Orion O'Neill. We learn about that film, what it's like to write a movie that's only made because of the contract. And he talks about that experience and how she demand parts in the movie to show off her body and just kind of how crazy John uh, producer John Peters was on that film. That's his reputation. I am not making that as a personal observation. I do not know the man. We are moving on from that legal disclaimer. We also find out what it was like to write on Saturday Night Live during the Eddie Murphy years. Pretty exciting stuff. Andrew's always great. We played an interview with him where we talked about the movie Who's That Girl, the Madonna movie. Bucky Sinister, nice enough to write in and say he enjoyed that episode. So I hope you like this one too. If you like other episodes, you can tell me. I would love to hear it, of course. But you can tweet it out, put it on Facebook, dig and all that other stuff. I'd love to try to promote the show any way we can. And another way, oh my God, it's the end of the year. It's time for the Resentees. That's right. What is the best cult movie or best bad film you saw this year? I don't care when it came out, as long as you saw it in the last year. Call us or send me an MP3 with just under two minutes of why you love the movie and why it should be the Resenti of the year. And I will announce the winner of the Resentis of the year at our live show, which should be great. We're going to have the Resentis. We're going to have a little bit of music, have a, a unique idea for the music. And then we have Dream Tweet Live. The holidays are coming up. What are you going to get the guy who loves movies? Well, you get him movie tickets, a gift certificate, of course. And what do you get the guy in the office? You don't know what to get him. You get him movie tickets because everyone loves movies. So go to proudlyresents.com. There's a banner you can click, and then you can get some gift certificates sent to you. Go to proudlyresents.com to find out how to get movie tickets, gift certificates for the one you love or the one you don't really know that well. And we will, we're working on trying to get you the best deal on that. And we get a cut of that. And we also get a cut if you get Netflix for free through our website for a month. And I'll send you things that you should watch. TV shows and movies that are good and bad that you should definitely check out. All right. ProudlyResents.com is the website. Check out Andrew. All right. Thanks for listening. To all you Proudly Resents listeners out there, just remember, you can't touch on hospitality. How about I know, man. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I, re- I really feel very, very nervous about this because I, I don't know exactly what you're after, you know. I want to talk about how you started in film and uh, and uh, work on Merv and all that other stuff. All right, all right. Let's yeah. great stories. This is Proudly Resents, ProudlyResents.com. I'm Adam Spiegelman. Today we proudly resent the very shy Andrew Smith, who's written great movies like The Main Event, wrote for SNL, wrote Madonna's Who's That Girl, and we met on uh, The View about 15 years ago, and you have left The View to move on to better things. Mm. Or nothing. But the the main thing, you were in the main, you wrote the main event, and that was based on your life, right? How did that come about? Well, it, it wasn't really based on my life. It came about because I, I was partnered with uh, Gail Parent at the time. There were these producers, they had a deal to do a movie um, about a woman who owned a man. I think that was the, the sort of log, log line. And they were thinking about a hockey player or something like that. And I'd, I'd done a little boxing, so I said, well, why not a fighter? And they said, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, it was Ho- Howard Roseman and Renee Missel were, were the producers. So it was like a ICM package. 
that's how it started. It really started through Gail, sort of a, just the, the partner. But it wasn't specifically on my life. I mean, I, I used <laughs> I used a name that I had for myself called Kid Kid Natural, but but that's about as far as the um, life story went. I mean, I just gave that name up. That's all. Was there any requirements like you know Barbara needs this and we need to have this in this type of movie? Well, yeah, I mean, I I always say the only reason why it got made, there were two reasons. One, they they had a, um, Barbara had a deal with First Artists, which was this production group of her and Sidney Poitier and somebody else, I mean, three stars who formed a company. And her deal was that she had to finish principal photography by December 31st, uh, whatever year that was, 1978, I think. So, the, so they had to do a movie, and Barbara had procrastinated and put off choosing what kind of script she was going to do. So we, we had this script that we wrote. I mean, because we wrote it, I think we, we wrote it at, at MGM for Howard and Renee, but somehow it went into turnaround or something. Anyway, uh, Gail um, took a walk on the, the, on the Malibu Colony Beach and um, sort of ambushed Barbara, whom I guess she knew, you know, slight, slightly, and said, listen, I have this great script for you. And I think she pitched it as a love story in 12 rounds, and that, and that intrigued Barbara for, for that reason and for the fact that she had just gotten herself in shape with Body by Gilda. She, I think, and she knew she was then... 36 or something like that, whatever. She figured this was the last time she was going to be able to show off her body. And if you look at the movie, there are all these gratuitous shots of her ass and, and her working out and her, you know, in short pants and so forth and so on. And of course, then, you know, they, they got Ryan O'Neill to play the fighter because he, he, he is a fighter. And Ryan and, and Barbara were very old friends because of What's Up, Doc, I guess. So the, the funny thing about it is that it all fell together by accident. I mean, it had very little to do with somebody reading our script and saying, this movie has to be made. I, I I couldn't sleep last last night. I couldn't put it down. No, it was just it happened to fall at exactly the right time in the right place in the right circumstance and one thing or another. I mean, they were still even we we were in pre pre production. I mean, weeks away from starting to shoot, and and they there were still people walking around with the scripts in their hands saying, hey, what about this one? They were ready to, to shoot the phone book at, the, at that point because they had to, uh, or else she was going to have to forfeit some money. I, now, I, I think that that was the, the deal. You know, as a, as a writer in Hollywood, you're the last one to, to know anything. So that, that may be all apocryphal, but I think that's, that's how that movie got, got made. In, in my experience, most of the things that happen in Hollywood happen by accident or by some sort of fortuitous coming together of things. I mean, they rarely happen sort of cause and effect that somebody has read a script and wants to make that script, goes out and casts it and, and shoots it. It, it, all, it always seems to be a deal that falls together for, for, for reasons that have nothing to do with the script. Now, what were you doing before this movie? I was uh, in New York. Well, Gail and I had been writing television pilots. We, we wrote one for Irma Bombeck. We, we were a, a writing team for a very short while. I mean, through, I mean, I guess we, we were doing uh, television pilots at that point. And I was in New York and I then moved out to, to California for the duration. That's all. I was just a journeyman writer like I am now. I'm just, just a guy <laughs> looking for a job. You know. What was it like, though, being on the set with them? You know, after coming from New York to uh, the Hollywood and 
shooting movie. It was great. It was interesting because she was with John Peters at that point, and they had a very kind of what I would describe as a high school relationship. They would make each other jealous. It was a very hot and volatile kind of relationship. So that aspect was, was sort of interesting and fun, you know, because they because it was was like high school. And so that was good. And Ryan was completely enthralled uh, Barbara, and he was never late, and he knew his lines, and he would do anything Barbara wanted him to do. Howard Zeef was directing it, but Barbara was really di- uh, directing it, and she got mad at herself for not assuming the job of, of, of official director um, by the time the film was was over because she made so many dis- decisions about the, sh- the shooting of it. But it was it was great. It was like, um, we, of course, she could never, Barbara could never make up her mind or sign off on anything. So we would literally be writing up until midnight the night before we were going to shoot the scene. And we would show up on the set with new pages and new, you know, I mean, a whole new thing. Uh, and they would then then shoot it. So I don't think that's the way a movie is supposed to be made. But, but that's what we were doing, mainly because Barbara couldn't sign, sign off or wouldn't sign off on anything until she absolutely had to. John Peters, so at the time, he was, he was uh, originally... Her hairdresser and became a producer, a big time producer. But right. at the time, was he the producer of the film, or was he still her hairdresser? Uh, no, no, he. I think he was the producer because he'd already produced *Stars Born*, or you know, was and a couple of other things. And the next movie he did after this was *Superman*, I think. But yeah, no, he he was the he was the producer, and he was around. Whenever there was a love scene with. Um, Brian, he, he would leave the set. He, he couldn't be on the set when, when there was a love scene. Was that, as I say, it was like a high school kind of thing. But he was wild then. He was a, he was a wild man. So all of those things just, just made it fun. I mean, it just made it incredibly fun. Yeah. What do you mean? What, was he a screamer? Was he firing people? Like, what did he... Uh... No, no. Well, I mean, he, I, I don't know whether he fired any, anybody, but I'm, I'm sure he, he did. But he was very volatile and and emotional and um i remember somebody somebody wanted to go home because their like their father had died and he, she went to him and said i've got to go home and this we, we weren't even shooting then this was in pre pre-production and she said i got to go home my father's just died and i got to go to the funeral he goes what are you talking about you can't go this is like war <laughs> He said, you can't go. You're, where are you going? You can't leave. This is war. I remember him saying, making a movie is like war. You're, you're, you're sort of in it, and you can't leave. You know? And I don't know whether the poor girl left or didn't leave, but I'm sure if she, if she left, she didn't have a job when she came back or something. But he was, I mean, you know, he, he was something else. I mean, he, I, I don't know what he's doing now, but Jesus, he was something else. I mean, I mean, he was very nice to to me, and and we we got along all, uh, fine. And um, um, did he have any demands or anything that he wanted, like for the film? Uh, I don't know, minor minor things, but but nothing crazy. Um, not, not like that. That Kevin Smith. Um, there's a Kevin Smith thing on on YouTube about him. Um, being brought into a meeting with uh, uh, John Peters on the making of a new uh, Superman movie, and, and it's very, very funny. You should uh, 
you should go see it. It's it's hysterical. And he he wasn't he wasn't that crazy. He was just uh, hot, and it was like a, it was it was. Uh-huh. I mean, it was a little nuts because they'd have fights or whatever, and they'd pout and they'd storm. You know, they'd have they'd go through all the sort of high school romance things, but we're in the middle of a movie. So it was just nuts. It was just nuts. I mean, it was nuts. It was a good nuts, but it was it was just wild and and, and fun. You know. What did what did you expect for the movie to come out when it? Came? Well, the, the problem with it, the movie is it, it was a it was a flop because I mean. It was a flop because um, Barbara didn't sing in the movie until the final credits. So people are up out of their seats walking up the aisle, and all of a sudden she's going, extra, extra, I'm in love, you know, Baba do da da things above. I mean, and she started singing the, the, the main event song, um, which, which was a wonderful uh, disco tune um, written by a guy who since died, nice guy, uh, can't remember his name, but um, it, it, so people, you know, so so people walked out, and then they would stop as they're just about to go out the door because she's singing, and they turn around and, and they're rolling credits, and but this incredible voice comes. Um, so the, the, you know, I mean, she wasn't enough. People didn't go to see a Barbara Streisand film to see her, uh, you know, work out and and. <laughs> And run and run around in, in gym shorts. I mean, they wanted to go there to see her sing, right. and so it, and she didn't sing until the, the these closing credits, as I said. Whose decision was that? So, was that a conscious decision to? I I don't know. I don't I mean that was hers. I mean, or or some something. I think she was very uh, intent on you know her acting chops and and being an actor. She wanted. She did Yentl, I think, after that, and and all that. I mean, she. I guess she didn't want people to only go to the movies to see her sing. She wanted them to go to see her act. I guess that was it. I don't know why that decision was was made, but we were never asked to, you know, write a scene where where this girl who sort of inherited this boxer starts to sing a song. I mean, we so they they that was a conscious decision that she was not going to sing in this in this song in this. Uh, a movie, or, or, or maybe it was con- contractual, because this thing was such a, 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 f- a funny, um, y- y- you know, a, a, the, the project was sort of f- funny the way it came about. So maybe there was some contractual thing where she wasn't sub- she wasn't allowed to sing. I don't know, I don't, but but I mean that was it was it was very clear that she was not going to sing in the film. I mean, in the. In, did, did you write in singing scenes for her? Did, did I write what? Scenes in there for her to sing that didn't show up? No, no. I mean, because she was a a, a, per, a perfume um, uh, entrepreneur. I mean, she was the the perfume maven of of Hollywood or something, and um, so there was nothing about singing in 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 the movie. But but I'm just saying we we were never asked to say, well, can you make her you know can you just have a scene where she gets up and sings and it makes everybody happy but we were never <laughs> asked to do that so but and and the, and, and the movie never never had it it never had her singing in it or you know what uh so. what do you think happened with the director that made her not because i've seen this before and i'm sure you have too like not trust the director and realize that she needs to jump in or was she just ready to direct well she's very strong and um 
she's very strong. I mean, there. I mean, I think when she did Funny Girl, who who was it? Um, guy who directed Funny Girl, I thought said they never again. <laughs> you know, I mean, or or was it Walter Matthau or something? I mean, she. she I, I think she had this this reputation of being very very difficult uh, on stage. I mean, on on the set. And the thing is, she she didn't trust anyone. Um, I, I guess you, you if you come up the way she came came up, and one thing or another, you you that sort of comes with a territory where you really can't trust anyone to say your hair is right or this is good or that's bad. And so you and so she was very used to making all decisions about herself herself. So a director was really, I mean, I mean, Howard Zeef was a good, good director. He'd, he'd done commercials and, and a couple of movies, but he, um, but rather than fight it, cause she's the producer and the, the star, I mean, you know, he just sort of went went along with whatever she wanted to, how she wanted to do the scenes. It, it was basically that she didn't, she, I don't think she ever, she didn't trust anyone to make decisions for her, which is probably a good, a good thing, you know, rather than, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know whether it's a good thing, but her, she certainly held the reins of, of her own career. She was very, very clear about that. Unlike when you worked at The View, the women there were like, yeah, whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they, the women of The View were, I mean, first of all, they got so many deals on the out, outside. They they go, oh, the show, or is is that what you want? I mean, they the show is about, you know, 10th on the list. Of, of things they're, they, they're going to do that day. Um, so they, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll do every, they'll do anything except work uh, uh, extra. I mean, they don't want to, they, because they've got so, so many things going at, at, at this point. I mean, uh, you know, late in the run here. Yeah, it's like an afterthought, right? They're, but I mean, I mean, there are, there for them, are, it seems like an afterthought. What? Like they're doing so many other shows. They're doing their other shows. Like Joy does another talk show. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing other shows and they're doing other and they've got deals and and you know uh, uh, product lines and uh, you know whatever they're doing, they got everything going. They got more. They, I mean, I think Hasselbeck has a has an energy bar, you know. Um, so I mean, they've 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 become the, these little cottage industries. But there are some stars who put themselves completely in the hands of a manager or, or an agent, and the agent and manager made all those those decisions about what movies to make, what movies she was going to do or not do. I guess a case could be made that that's probably better because an, an actor all by himself is not in a position to make the decisions about his career or the material that somebody a little bit on the outside is, I guess. I don't know. I mean, unless you're Barbara Streisand, who can fail and then keep going. You know, like, she's never going to, no one's ever going to stop. She's not going to stop being famous or popular, or, right? I mean, right, right, no, yeah, I mean, she's... She's not going to ruin her career. I mean, no, I mean, in the middle of the shooting, she cut You Don't Bring Me Roses with Neil Diamond. Yeah, I mean, she. you forget, it's very easy to forget that she has a whole full career as a singer, of course, besides being a producer and a... Um, and an actress, and then she was she was at that point decorating and designing her Art Deco houses or something. So she was doing all of that stuff too. So, I mean, she's got a lot of ways to go. Yeah, I mean, she can she can do everything. 
except right. She said, and the only reason we didn't get, and that's really the truth. The only reason we were sort of so close to her and, and we're sort of on the, the inside circle was that the one thing that, you know, most of the people in, you know, on a film like that can't do is right. I mean, everybody else thinks that they, they know the way the thing should be lit and they can, t- they can tell you the angle it should be shot at or the, but they can't write the script, you know? So it, it, it's the only time there's a brief window there where, where the writer is, um, is fairly important. At least, at least we were in that situation. Because because it was because it was the one thing she she couldn't she couldn't do. You know? So, would she come to you with an idea and just be like, figure it out? Oh yeah, I mean she would. I mean she would stay up with us and and you know read drafts and things and say no 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 do it do it this way or do it that way or she was very hands on but she never said give me that typewriter I'll do it so. That, that that's what uh, kept us employed, I guess. Did you have an affair on the film? No, no. Uh, um, what a waste, man. Well, well, I mean, you know, I, I was I was junior, baby. I don't, you know, I mean, I mean, I, there there was a, you know, there were some some groupies. I guess was it? No, I don't know. There were some groupies hanging around and stuff like that. There were people, but I I uh, I was. You know, my my main concern was to keep the job, so I I didn't indulge in anything. Uh huh. So were you, was that Ryan O'Neill groupies or Barbara Streisand groupies? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, when I say groupies, they're sort of <laughs> an, an ancillary uh, people, and they're like assistant wardrobe people or hair assistant hair people or just brothers and sisters of people. I don't know. They're just sort of, there's always like a, a, a pool of people that are sort of around a, a production for one reason or, or, or another who are, are fairly available. What, what did this movie lead to for you? Like what happened after this film? Um, well, you know, it's funny because the film was a flop and then all of a sudden it's the writer's fault. That's what happens. The, the upside of that is that if the film had been a, if the film had been a hit, I mean, a really big hit uh, that had nothing to do with the writing, I would have considered a great a great writer. But the film wasn't a hit, as was um, Who's That Girl wasn't a hit either. So they punish you fast for for that, and it's as if you haven't done anything. It just doesn't count, and uh, you're a little bit tainted. After. So after that film, I came back to New York. That's 79, 80. I'm trying to think what I did, whether I wrote some Bob Newhart episode. And, and maybe 81, so maybe, and then, then Saturday Night Live, yeah. Wayne Henderson here, and I am excited to have three of the top Fringe Division agents with us today. So, since we're here, we might as well take advantage of the situation and just talk about about how the Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan podcast is proud to be podcasting about this fifth and final season of the TV show Fringe. Oh, I'm sorry if at this moment when the universe is collapsing, I forgot the magic word. For magic word, you meant fringecastingpodcast.com, right? Well, let's not jump to conclusions. I'm not. I don't really know what to say. It's all right, Olivia. You go ahead and fight the Baldies with Etta out on the fringe and I'll remind our friends to check out the fringe casting podcast at fringecastingpodcast.com. Now I'm off to get my co-host Dan out of some Amber. Thank you for your attention and have a nice day and egg sticks. 
Yes, we know there's a million podcasts out there, but there's only one Hollywood Outsider. Every week, your hoes, Aaron, Brian, Justin, and Scott, put their own spin on the latest in movie and TV news, new and upcoming releases, topics that are on ours or our listeners' minds, and hell, we even throw in some trivia where you can win a cavalcade of imaginary prizes. Most importantly, we have fun doing it. So come take a listen. The Hollywood Outsider is available on iTunes, Zoom, Stitcher Radio, or at thehollywoodoutsider.com. When you were on Saturday Night Live, who was the cast? It was Eddie Murphy. It was basically the Eddie Murphy years. It was it was Eddie and, and Tim Kazarinsky and Piscopo. And then Jim Belushi came came in. Mary Gross. Who else? Robin Duke. Robin Duke. What was it like with Eddie Murphy there? Was that just kind of excitement that this guy was there? Or you didn't really know who it was? What it was, what it could be. Well, it, well, the funny thing is, you know, Eddie, you had an opportunity to to watch a guy become a, a major star overnight. We all witnessed that, and he, and he was amazing. I mean, he is a, a tremendous talent, or at least, I mean, I guess his movies haven't done so well recently. But boy, when when he came came up and was on Saturday Night, he was. Everything he did was funny. I mean, every just and you could just sit in the room and take down what he was riffing on, and you you would have a sketch. And he really had it. Anybody could identify Eddie Murphy and say this guy's a breakout talent. This is a major talent. I didn't write specifically for him, although he, he did a couple of sketches and things. Blaustein and Sheffield were his main writers, and and Eddie himself was somewhat remote from the show. He didn't hang out at, like he I suppose did when the year before I got there when he was just starting when he was an assistant you know he was originally hired Episcopo got him hired as a uh, as a player I mean not, not not even a cast member of sort of a junior player the year before under Gene Domanian so he, he was somewhat remote and you didn't really get to be friends with him or at least I didn't uh, although you know liked each other I mean I guess I guess we did but so much was happening to him so fast. I mean, all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, it's so crazy. It must be so crazy to be struggling and struggling and struggling. And then all of a sudden have the bosses turn around and say, whatever you want, Eddie. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. Or let, let me get that for you. It was like, what? I mean, it was, I mean, it was like, it, it was, it was like watching a movie or something. It, what happened to Eddie happened in about uh, two two years, and it just was it was powerful and vast. The transformation from a, a knock around guy to a, a, ma a major star. I heard a a story about him because <laughs> I saw him later. I went in and helped on a movie with him. There's a story that after Beverly Hills Cop, and all of a sudden Beverly Hills Cop took off and became this huge hit, whatever, millions of dollars. And Eddie had a percentage or something, I guess, of that. And he showed up in the office of Paramount or whoever was producing it and saying, uh, I I'd like my money. And they said, what? Well, he said, the film's made $100 million. I'm supposed to get 5%. So give me five, $5 million or whatever it was. <laughs> and and he, he wanted the cash. He just give me the money. And, and I think they sort of scrambled around and, 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 and actually did it because they didn't want to get him mad, you know. Right. But he, 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 
he thought that that I mean it was it, in his mind and in, in his world. If when you earn the money, you you, uh, you you sort of get the money. You don't you know it doesn't trickle in. You you know it, it's somebody's got the money, and so you know you know give me my share. I, I thought that was very um, very direct, uh, you know, and very uh, cool uh, for for him to uh, do that. It was Thursday. It was payday. <laughs> I want my five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you you've made a hundred or whatever it is, or you've made this and that. And I I read read in, read in the papers, to, you know, <laughs> how much money everybody's made. Now I'd like mine. <laughs> what no, movie did know. you work with him on? Uh, there was uh, his Harlem Nights. I guess it was. I mean, I I I, I just I helped I helped out a little. Bit anything you want to say Andy Andrew to the no people. I mean I uh, thank you very very much fuck Joy uh, Behar <laughs> yeah and I'll um, but uh, you know fuck Bill, say fuck Bill Getty then we can do no and I will I can't, come on I'm trying to try not get in any more trouble than I'm in already but but uh, thank right, you okay. and, and then it was it was fun I hope you enjoyed the show Andrew Smith awesome always if you like the show tweet it out put it on the old Twitter put it on Facebook let people know uh, you are the promotional tool. Subscribe to the show. You can listen to older episodes. We have an episode where we talked to the guy who played Tom Servo. We also talked to Catherine Wilhoit from Roadhouse, and she talks about all, I'm not kidding you, like behind the scenes that people don't say about drugs, about her doing drugs, Patrick Swayze beating up an extra for real. That was a crazy story. She's 100% honest. I've never... Talk to anyone that was this honest. So check that out. That's at our website, ProudlyResents.com. You can find the other episodes or on your podcasting app. You can go back and check out those episodes. K-Y-T-I, people. All right. Bye. K-Y-T-I. Hi, I'm Eddie Pepitone from the Long Shot Podcast. Hey, we are doing a year in review show. Call or write us with the best bad movie you saw last year. It doesn't matter what year the movie came out, just that you saw it last year. Call on our comment line. You ready? Get a pencil. <laughs> I'll wait. Okay, got one? Okay. 646-481-5476. Keep it clean and short. We might air it. Go to ProudlyResents.com for details. My favorite movie is, um, I would have to say it's uh, Angels in the Outfield because I enjoy Proudly Resents. Adam, that, we're, we're out of time for this interview.